Hey everybody, welcome to Kern Talks Monday edition, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church's podcast, where we revisit the message for the previous day. I'm Krista Q, the worship leader and producer at Kern Church. We know you're busy and maybe don't have time to watch the video for a whole service. Well, we got you covered with Kern Talks. With that said, let's hear Pastor Donna Hester's message from August 23rd. Our scripture this morning begins a seven-week study of the book of Exodus. Hear now from chapter 1, verses 8 through 22. Now a new king came to power in Egypt who didn't know Joseph. He said to his people, The Israelite people are now larger in number and stronger than we are. Come on, let's be smart and deal with them. Otherwise, they will only grow in number. And if war breaks out, they will join our enemies, fight against us, and then escape from the land. As a result... The Egyptians put foremen of forced work gangs over the Israelites to harass them with hard work. They had to build storage cities named Pithom and Ramesses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they grew and spread, so much so that the Egyptians started to look at the Israelites with disgust and dread. So the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites. They made their lives miserable with hard labor, making mortar and bricks, doing field work, and by forcing them to do all kinds of other cruel work. The king of Egypt spoke to two Hebrew midwives named Shifra and Puah. When you are helping the Hebrew women give birth and you see the baby being born, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, you can let her live. Now the two midwives respected God, so they didn't obey the Egyptian king's order. Instead, they let the baby boys live. So the king of Egypt called the two midwives and said to them, Why are you doing this? Why are you letting the baby boys live? The two midwives said to Pharaoh, Because Hebrew women aren't like Egyptian women. They're much stronger and give birth before any midwives can get to them. So God treated the midwives well, and the people kept on multiplying and became very strong. And because the midwives respected God, God gave them households of their own. Then Pharaoh gave an order to all his people, throw every baby boy born to the Hebrews into the Nile River but you can let all the girls live. Now a man from Levi's household married a Levite woman. The woman became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She saw that the baby was healthy 
and beautiful. So she hid him for three months. When she couldn't hide him any longer, she took a reed basket and sealed it up with black tar. She put the child in the basket and set the basket among the reeds at the riverbank. The baby's older sister stood watch nearby to see what would happen to him. Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river while her women servants walked along beside the river. She saw the basket among the reeds, and she sent one of her servants to bring it to her. When she opened it, she saw the child. The boy was crying, and she felt sorry for him. She said, This must be one of the Hebrews' children. Then the baby sister said to Pharaoh's daughter, Would you like me to go and find one of the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Pharaoh's daughter agreed. Yes, do that. So the girl went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I'll pay you for your work. So the woman took the child and nursed it. After the child had grown up, she brought him back to Pharaoh's daughter, who adopted him as her son. She named him Moses, because, she said, I pulled him out of the water. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. As we begin this look and this journey through Exodus, we take this morning to do what's good, a good thing to do anytime you're going to take a long journey, and that's to prepare. We're going to prepare with an introduction, an introduction to the texts from the Old Testament, as well as an introduction to Moses and the journey. First of all, there's a few things we need to understand about the writings of the Old Testament. If you were with me for get ready for Sunday, and that's whether it was Wednesday night or any time you have watched that stream between Wednesday night and this morning, you know that the Old Testament, it took it a while for it to be written down. It was what we call an oral history an oral history in which the story of the Israelites, the story of God's people was handed down by mouth. It was handed down in the ways in which stories are told, maybe around a campfire, or stories told as 
The Israelites journeyed across the wilderness as they wandered searching for the promised land. Stories were told. Stories were changed. Stories started with one meaning and found a new meaning in the life and the history of the Israelites. Think about it. We do the same thing. We tell our stories. Sometimes they're the same time after time after time when we tell them. Sometimes they change. Sometimes the story's different depending upon who's telling it and what place they had either in the story or watching the story unfold. Friday night, I received a text from a longtime friend, a friend that back in first grade, I think we really came, became friends because we had matching dresses. But we have been friends since first grade, and Friday night, I received a text, and it was a picture. And the picture had a caption that said, Do you, does this bring back memories? Well, it, you could tell it was a football field. You could see a portion of the scoreboard. So I figured it was our high school football field and scoreboard because I knew that her youngest son was now attending the high school we had. But my reply went like this. I'm sure it's probably the old Miss football field, but no, that side of it I don't really remember because most of the time my back was to the field and I was talking to somebody behind me in the bleachers. And that was the truth. That's how I remember my high school days. We were in band. We had to be at the football games. But there wasn't much reason to be at the football games. Because, you see, we didn't really have a winning record. Well, we really didn't have a win at all while I was in high school, except, except that day my senior year before Christmas break, as I sat in the government class and the PA speaker started to crackle, it wasn't a time that we usually had announcements, but the athletic athletic director was on the other end of that announcement, and that was even more strange. And the announcement was we had won a football game. I don't remember who, but somebody we had played that season had a player who was academically ineligible to play that evening, and we had won a game. 
And that's how many games we had won throughout my time in high school. Now, when I tell this story, I usually tell this story so that people understand why I really don't have much interest in football. There wasn't anything on the field worth watching. There was a lot more fun to be had talking with the friends behind me in the bleachers. And that's the way I tell the story. But somewhere, there is a classmate of mine, or a few of them, who were on that field for a different reason. And they were on the field. They were playing the game. They are telling the story of that win that year. And they may have told that story Friday night in the bleachers as they watched the game going on. It's very possible that when they tell the story, it changes. Or it's changed over the course of time. My story doesn't vary much. It's a simple fact as to why I'm not a fan of football. But for them, it might change. It could be the best team that was in our district at the time that now we beat. And there's no mention of it being made known on the day before Christmas break in 1980. Stories change. And as the Israelites sat around the campfires, or as they wandered through the wilderness, sometimes those stories needed to change because the intent of the story needed to change. They needed to find a reason to carry on. They needed to find a reason to understand why they were following God's call and plan. Stories are told with a particular intent in mind. And when we look at this second portion of the Exodus story this morning, when we look at the portion about Moses, Walter Wangren Jr., who is a storyteller and an author, has ways in which he weaves the stories of the Bible and gives them new and fresh meaning, makes the characters come alive. And in his book, The Book of God, he takes the biblical story and presents it in novel form. And he has a portion in the Exodus section where Miriam tells her story from this morning. And Miriam tells her story as they're sitting at the campfire. 
And the Israelites are trying to figure out why they should recognize Moses as a leader. And Miriam says, but he was here. He lived in Egypt, but not with us. Surely you remember the time when our afflictions began. Yes, said the people. You remember the king who first enslaved us because he was afraid of our numbers. Yes, said the people. How could we forget? He set taskmasters over us to wear us down. They made our lives horrible with labor and mortar and brick. But the more they oppressed us, the more we multiplied. The people near Miriam smiled, recalling their toughness and the Egyptians' frustration. So the king conceived a plan, she said. He told the midwives who served Hebrew women to kill our baby boys. But the midwives feared God. They let all the children live, male and female. They said, O oh, king, Hebrew women are so strong. They drop their babies before we can get there. Ha, 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 the people barked with bitter laughter for the idiot Egyptian, tricked by the women. Miriam paused a moment. Then in a softer, more serious voice, she continued. So the king abandoned cunning and went straight to slaughter. He sent his soldiers through our houses with orders to search out the baby boys and to drown them in the Nile. It was then, said Miriam, that my mother bore a beautiful baby boy. For three months she hid him in the house, and the soldiers did not find him. But then he grew too large and too loud. So my mother took a basket and daubed it with pitch and laid her son inside and slipped it into the river among the reeds. She told me to watch from a distance. That very day, I saw the king's daughter come down with her maidens to bathe. I saw them stop at the little cove where my brother was floating. I watched the princess undress and wade into the water. She disappeared among the reeds. Suddenly she cried, Look what I found! She came out of the reeds, pushing the basket toward the shore. All her maidens rushed to look. The princess turned my mother's blankets aside. And there was my brother, 
his little fists shaking. He was crying. I couldn't stand it. I started to run down the bank toward her. She was saying, it's one of the Hebrew children. And she was holding the baby with such tenderness. Such tenderness. I saw that tenderness. And I said, do you want me to get a Hebrew nurse for the child? She looked up at me and said, yes. So I ran and got our mother. And by the time we returned together, the princess had named him Moshe. She called him Moses because she said, I drew him out of the water. The daughter of the king of Egypt adopted my baby brother. He grew up in Pharaoh's court. That's why you can't remember him. But he suckled Hebrew milk. He drank of the milk of our mother. He heard her prayers and learned our ways and therefore has been one of us from the beginning. Believe it. Heart and soul and might. Moses will always be one of us. As the Hebrews sat around the fire, as the Hebrews looked at their condition, they listened to Miriam's story. The story of Moses. The story of the beginning. The story of the time in which the king, the Pharaoh, failed to remember Joseph and the Egypt and the Israelites and all that they had done for Egypt. They they remember. Or maybe they sort of remember because the memory gets cloudy. But Miriam reminds them. And while Miriam is telling Moses' story, Miriam is also telling her story and the Israelite story and assuring them that Moses is indeed one of them. Moses is indeed an Israelite and will always be. This story is told with the intent, the intent of sharing the reason why Moses is able to lead them and is leading them from an Israelite point of view. He is not an Egyptian leading them into slaughter and to remind the Israelites 
of the ways in which they have been protected. They have been cared for from the slaughters of the past. Pharaoh wanted all of the baby Hebrew boys drowned in the Nile. But that didn't happen. The protection, God's protection was known through the midwives, through Pharaoh's daughter herself. through Miriam, and through her mother. There's not a lot of mention in these first two chapters of Exodus about God. But they knew, and we know, and we understand the ways in which God's protection surrounded them surrounded them through the midwives who failed to listen to the rule of the Pharaoh, surrounded them in bringing them a leader, a leader who understood both the court of Pharaoh and the life of the Hebrew slave. Remember, Miriam says, remember the beginning. Remember all that has happened. Remember that God's provision, protection, and care surrounds you. Our memories get fuzzy. And I find it interesting this morning that the story I shared with you centered around the football field took place 40 years ago. 40 years. The same time that we will come to find that the Israelites wandered through the wilderness. And this is as good a time as any to help you understand that in the Hebrew numbers, in the understanding of the Israelites, 40 is not necessarily just a marking of the numbers. 40 is a really long time. That's how they looked at 40. If 40 was used, it happened a long time ago. And Friday night, as I thought about those bleachers and that football field, I realized how long ago it has been. Miriam and the Israelites sat around the campfire with that same dim memory of something that happened a really long time ago. 
but they also sat recognizing that the God that was with them then was the same God who was with them in the moment and the same God who would be with them in the future. Praise be to God for that care and that protection. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you want to reach out to Kern Memorial United Methodist Church or see entire services, you can visit our YouTube channel, Kern Memorial United Methodist Church, and remember to like and subscribe for updates. You can also visit us on our Facebook page at Kern Memorial United Methodist Church. Thanks and have a blessed day.